So this is the final talk in a series of six talks that's been considering what we read in the, the New Testament is described as the body of Christ. And we've considered it in various ways. I want us to take a reading from God's word first before I summarize where we've come to. And then we're going to focus in on our topic today, which is the body of Christ, a joyful body. That's our focus for our concluding talk in our series. If you have a Bible and you wish to follow along, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1. I'd love to take the whole time to read the whole of the letter because it's just full of Paul's joy and his joy and the people of God. But we have to dip in because of our time constraints. So verse 27 Paul says in Philippians 1.27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I should say this is a letter from Paul to a church of God in the city of Philippi. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Down to chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset or the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice 
with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. A joyful body. It's here in this text and we're going to come back to it in a moment. But just to bring us through from where we started to where we are now. We were considering at the very beginning how the born again believers using Bible language and the teaching of the Lord Jesus and of the apostles. Born again believers are brought into an eternal union with Christ Jesus by faith. Jesus himself described all of those that would be united with him in this way as a congregation, a church that he said he was building. And that congregation or church that he said he was building, Paul then introduces the metaphor of the body to help us to understand its function whenever he picks up his teaching as we have it in the New Testament. So all those united with Christ for eternity by faith, through faith in what Christ Jesus has done on behalf of guilty but yet believing sinners, they're gathered together into a wonderful, great congregation, a church that is described as the body of Christ. But we've also learned that those believers, from what we read in the New Testament, would be gathered together into local churches of God as they are described in the New Testament. So you've got the church, the body of Christ, but then you have the churches of God. They are different churches. But the latter, the churches of God, should be comprised of those who are in the former, in the church, the body of Christ. But there is no guarantee that this will be the case because sadly there are some who are else self-deceived into thinking that they are in the church, the body of Christ when they're not or else no they aren't but yet would seek to do harm to a local congregation in a church of God. We then thought about how these local churches of God are to be body of Christ in character by their unity and their diversity and their harmony and also their activity for God and for each other and for the world around them. That these local churches of God that are expressions of the body of Christ are to be healthy and to be active. And then today we're concluding that they are to be a joyful body. Which is rich coming from a doer Ulsterman like me. But there's a point in it. We know that joy is something that is deep-seated, that does respond to circumstances, but is not controlled by circumstances. So it is not the same as happiness. So someone can be joyful, but yet it might not be seen in their demeanor. But their joy is resting on something deeper. And we can see that as we look at what Paul said in his letter to the Church of God in Philippi. So Paul was writing this letter and he was appealing to them to be joyful or to rejoice, which is the expression of their joy. He says himself that he was rejoicing in his circumstances. We don't have time to look at this, but earlier in chapter 1, verses 12 through 19, he describes his joy while he's incarcerated in a prison. So Paul, who must have been, I would say, deeply unhappy at his imprisonment and probably his treatment while in prison, 
still had a personal joy that characterised what he would do. He was limited, but yet he recognised that there was a joy that was untouchable. And out of that flowed his letters. It's a wonderful thing that God has worked that way in Paul's life to give us the scriptures. Joy is more a state of being than an emotion. And it's a choice. It's in what we put our faith and our trust in. And if that's unshakable like it was for Paul, then we have unshakable joy. For him, the Lord Jesus was the unchanging constant in all of his changing circumstances, even in his incarceration. Paul had personal joy through knowing the Saviour. And Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, I consider everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have lost all things. For him, his joy was in knowing the Saviour. And if you have time and you want to do a study through the letter to the Church of God in Philippi, the Philippians letter that we have here, you just see how often Paul refers to the Saviour. He has joy in his Saviour. He also has joy in knowing that he has the Spirit of Jesus Christ, as he's called by Paul here. Verse 19 of chapter 1, he says, I know that through your prayers to the Philippian saints, and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. What has happened to me? It'll, it'll lead to my deliverance. He had joy. Even in his difficult circumstances. In his saviour who was unchanging. The source of his salvation. And his joy for eternity. And he had joy. In the spirit of Jesus Christ. In him. Controlling him. Guiding him. And giving to him all that was needed. For his circumstances. So Paul was speaking of a personal experience. And this is a personal experience. That we can all share in. And all do share in. If we are truly born again believers. We all have the same saviour. And there's always so much more. To know about him. In relationship. It's not just head knowledge. It's experiential knowledge day by day. And we also all have the spirit of God. The spirit of Jesus Christ because God is one Father, Son and Spirit. So he is the one who reveals to us all that Christ is and all that God the Father is and he's with us. So we have the same two constants. Well it's actually one, it's God himself in our experience. As the psalmist said in Psalm 21 verse 6. He says you make him most blessed forever. You make him joyful with the joy of your presence. In Old Testament times, people who knew the presence of God in their experience could say it was a joyful thing. So this is a personal thing that we all experience. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we all have joy because of the Saviour and because of the Spirit. But our joy is affected by how we abide in Christ. Now I'm picking up here from the words of the Lord Jesus himself as he was in John 15 teaching his 12 disciples the night before he would show the extent of his love through his death on the cross. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. 
In verse 4 of John 15, he says, Remain or abide in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Here was the Lord speaking to those that had come into this eternal union with him. And he says, look, there's something you need to do here. I've brought you to myself, but you work at abiding in me. And at the end of that little section in John 15, verse 11, Jesus says this. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So knowing the Savior and having the Spirit is a source of joy for the believer. But the Lord Jesus himself taught that there's an effort to be expended on the part of the believer to abide or to remain in Christ and to allow God to work in us in such a way that fruit is seen in our lives. And that then becomes the joy of the Saviour coming into our experience, that our joy may be complete. Obedience is the pathway of true joy. That's what the Lord was saying. We see that in the person of Jesus himself. Jesus' joy came from doing the Father's will. He said that his followers' joy would come from doing what he commands. And that's what we see in Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 to 11 speak of the one who was in very nature God, who made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And he was made in human likeness. That tells us something about humans, that we were made to serve the creator. And when we choose not to, then we get into all sorts of trouble, and that's sin. But Christ has come and has taken the lowest place, so that in his service for God and his service towards those who will put their faith and their trust in him, he would transform them also to recognize, well, my life is to be lived for God. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. And you know what the writer of Hebrews says, a favourite verse that many of us will know, Hebrews 12 verse 2, where the writer there says, you fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, scorned its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what Paul declares here in Philippians chapter 2 about the, the servant obedience of the Son of God who became a man that went all the way to the cross and then he was exalted is also spoken of by the writer of Hebrews who says that for the Lord that was a joy to do that. There was joy in obedience. There's a principle there for us. So we've been thinking about individuals here. And their individual joy in the Saviour and in the Spirit and in our abiding in Christ. How does this then work with our rather contrived title of the body of Christ, a joyful body? Well, as the individuals are joyful, then the group will be a joyful group, won't they? And Paul was getting at that in his letter in Philippians. And again, I would appeal to you to go and read it with joy as as the lens through which you see it and what it is that Paul is driving at for the church there because there were some problems in the church 
as there always are going to be problems because while we're saved sinners, we're still sinners who still do sin. We have a justified standing before God that cannot be touched, but yet there are things that we still do that do cause problems between us. And that was the case in the church of God in Philippi. But what Paul was getting at here, as we've read in chapter 1 and then chapter 2, his appeal is to them as a group. Remember, a local church of God is an expression of the body of Christ in its activity and in its character. And he's appealing to them. You continue. Don't let go of what it is that God has brought you into. But I noticed four Ps that I think Paul finds joy in himself as he thinks about that group in Philippi serving God together in their unity that springs from their individual joy that they would have collective joy. One, Philippians chapter one and verses four to six, their partnership with Paul in the gospel. They were partners together in the gospel in the local church of God in Philippi, but Paul saw that that extended beyond that to their partnership with all in the gospel. Second P, he had joy, Philippians 1 verse 18, that Christ was being preached. So we have partnership in the gospel. And he had joy that that group and others in his close proximity were preaching Christ. So the preaching of Christ was something that gave Paul joy. And he recognised that a local church of God doing the same thing, being in partnership in the gospel and preaching about Christ, would be a means of joy. Philippians 1 verse 19. He had joy in knowing that they were a people who were praying for him. It was through prayer, partnership, preaching and prayer that Paul knew that he had joy and that they would have joy. And then Philippians chapter 4 in verses 10 and 18, Paul refers to their provision for him. Here's the outworking of their love and their transformed lives for the Saviour. There's this provision <coughs> for one another and also for others that were scattered wherever, like Paul, as he was there in a prison. What we have is Paul's joy as he sees it in a congregation that's united in one purpose for God's things characterizing the body of Christ in their service, their partnership, their preaching of Christ, their prayer support, and their provision for one another. But Paul said there was a more complete joy. <coughs> Philippians 2 verse 2 that we read together says, make my joy complete. How? By the Philippians loving one another more. That being more united in their purpose in their service for God and being more single-minded in their commitment to God and to each other. You know, it comes from the Spirit of God. It's guided by the Word of God. And Paul could see that this joy would be something that would make him even more complete if he saw an increasing unity. Just like a body functions in its <coughs> unity, if that could be the case in the Church of God in Philippi, he would have joy. So do everything without grumbling. Now there's one. Not grumbling. What does he go on to say? If you don't do that, and he says you'll shine like stars in a dark, warped generation. That's the whole purpose. Christ was here 
in his human body, which he still has today in the glory and glorified state, he was here and he shone like a star in the darkness because of his sinless perfections. And I think Paul is borrowing from that and he's saying, you as a congregation of the body of Christ, in your joy and in your lack of grumbling and arguing and your unity of purpose and so on, he says, you'll shine because it will not be you. It will be the Lord seen in you. Paul was prepared to pour himself out. That's why we read on to verses 17 and 18. He says, I'm going to be poured out. He says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering on your sacrifice and your service. He recognized the church were sacrificing themselves and their service for God and for each other. And he was pouring himself as a drink offering on it. I wonder what he meant by that. Maybe it's just his prayers for them. Almost like something extra. But he said this, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Which implies that they were glad and rejoicing. Even when there were some difficulties in the church. But he said there was more to be enjoyed. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So he says work this problem out. And you get to that problem in chapter 4. And his appeal to those who had the problems that were restricting some elements of their joy. But you know what? There was a joy that Paul experienced when he wasn't in prison that he could not experience when he was in prison doesn't explicitly mention it here but you have him if you can in your mind sitting there in his cell and he's praying through the churches that he's been around and he's visualizing their activity and the people in it and the joyful ones and the slightly less joyful ones but he has them in mind and he's he recognises that they're engaged in something as the body of Christ, made visible in a locality that he can't be part of just at that moment. Worshipping with the people of God in the presence of God. What a source of joy for the gathered people of God. Psalm 16 verse 11. This is Old Testament language. David says, you will make known to me the way of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And in your right hand there are pleasures forever. David recognised that God among his people, even coming near to his presence and he could only come so far, was a source of joy for them. We are taught in the New Testament that the people of God today, churches of God together, have the privilege of entering into the most holy place in heaven. A spiritual activity that takes place when we're together in worship in your presence there is fullness of joy. So remember we touched on a psalm that said that the Lord's presence in someone's life was a source of joy. But here is something where someone comes into the presence of God that is a source of joy too. Joy in worship and prayer and fellowship and partnership together in these things. You know the Old Testament was characterized by what's described in Numbers 10 as God says it, your times of rejoicing, your appointed festivals and your moon feasts. He says, I've marked them out for you. You come, they're times for your rejoicing. He says, you'll sound your trumpets over your burnt offerings and your fellowship offerings. I am the Lord your God. Now there's the basis for why you come together. And Paul, as he's sitting there in the prison, 
I'm sure he has a longing to be with one of the churches of God engaged in their worship and their prayer and their sharing in the word together. As they express the unity of being the body of Christ in that local setting. And he can't be part of it. So he has, he has a lack that others had at that time. A joy in the presence of God. Psalm 43 verses 3 and 4. Isn't it wonderful how the Old Testament gives us something that is made even better in the New Testament? The psalmist there said to the Lord in his song, Send out your light and your truth. They shall lead me. They shall bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you, God, my God. A joy for the congregation that gives expression to the body of Christ in a locality such as us here in Manchester. Knows its joy in its together service, as we thought. As each individual is enjoying Christ and then those individuals together are working together in partnership in the preaching of the gospel, in prayer, and the last P, whichever it was. And you, but there's this joy of coming together in worship. I wanted to finish with this. To see Jesus thrilled with joy. Because remember, we are the body of Christ. Jesus has returned to the right hand of the Father in heaven. What remains on earth are those who are brought into union with him to give expression to his continuing work in this world. In Luke chapter 10, verse 21 it says that Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. If you look at the Greek on it, it actually means he was thrilled with joy. Jesus was thrilled with joy by the Holy Spirit. This is your homework to go and look at it. What was the cause of that? He'd send out 72 followers. This is at a time when he was very popular. He sent them out and he says, you go into the harvest field. And what did he do? He sent them out two by two in partnership. Two together, but also in partnership with each other and with the Lord. They went out together. He said, you'll go and you'll not need to take stuff with you because other people will provide for you. So there was provision. And the Lord says, you go and do my work and you'll be provided for. He says, and you'll go and you'll preach the kingdom of God has come near in the person of the Lord Jesus. And it says in Luke 10 verse 17. That they returned with joy. So they'd gone out. To do what the Lord had said. And the same peace that we thought about. That seemed to be there in Philippians. As Paul had in mind. Characterized their service. As an extension of the work of Christ. Even then. They came back with joy. And they said even the demons are subject to us Lord. In your name. He says. You don't worry about that. You rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Oh yeah. That's a priority. But then it says, verse 21. At that time Jesus, thrilled with joy by the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. The Lord had joy. In recognising God the Father's work at revealing his purposes on earth 
to people who weren't so clever that they thought they had all the answers, but rather to people who would listen trustingly to the Lord, like children they would trust in him. He had joy in seeing that. And as they trusted in him, it led to their service together. And that little snapshot in Luke 10, I think is a wonderful description of the work of Christ that he was wanting to continue even after his death and resurrection. That there would be people that would go out and through their partnership and their preaching and their provision for one another and through prayer, they would be a joyful body. But you know, the Lord's joy is yet to be completed. Matthew 25 and verse 21. And also in verse 23. The Lord tells a parable. He speaks about three people who are given something by the master. And they're told to take care of it. A sum of money. And two of them went and they did something with that. So when the master came back, they had more to show for it than they were originally given. But one headed away. And when he came back, it was just the same. And the Lord said to the first two, or in his story, he says, the master said to the first two, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. What was the Lord trying to tell us in that story? That there's a joy that, yes, was ahead of him as he went through the experience of his life and his crucifixion and his resurrection, the gathering of a people to himself for eternity to declare the glory of God. But there's a joy of the master in him receiving those ones who recognize all that they have been given in him and they serve him and there's increase not through human ingenuity but through the submission and obedience to God out of the joy of knowing the saviour and the spirit enter into the joy of your master that awaits us all I think we have a duty to each other to encourage each one in the matter of joy. The body of Christ is to be a joyful body. Let's pray.